Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of, and this is my second session with John. So John, thanks for being here. Um, Can you tell me what is going on for you now? Yeah, uh, so now I feel like I'm at a point where some of the things we've been talking about make more sense because I've been able to put them into practice. Like things like process, not outcome. Like I've been able to do that for a couple of years now and it makes sense. Like just the process of doing this podcast can be hard to like get past the anticipatory anxiety. And like get into a place where I could do it, but like doing it more makes it easier and like kind of building off success. Great. Yeah. Can you tell me more about your anticipatory anxiety? Yeah. Uh, so anytime I'm going to do something that I care about or it's a social setting, like I'm going to interact with somebody, then I'll have like this kind of, it doesn't feel like, like it just feels my nerves kind of, I feel jittery. So that, that's what I get. Okay. Can you tell me anything else that happens in your body? Like how do you know you're experiencing anticipatory anxiety? Yeah, I think my breathing gets a little quicker. I think my heart beats faster. I think my muscles start to tense up a little. Okay. And what happens in your mind? And in my mind, I start thinking of like worst case scenarios. Like what if I vomit in front of a lot of people or what if, that person doesn't like me or it just kind of goes to like these really worst case scenarios. Okay. And how do you manage it? I think one thing that I've found is it can't be like the same thing every time. I mean, maybe the overall, all themes are the same, like trying to take a couple of deep breaths, uh, reminding myself of why it means something to me to do it. Um, maybe checking in on why I feel nervous. Like what, what is it that's causing those nerves to be there? And that's kind of how I deal with it. And does that, when you when you look at what's happening, does that usually help your anxiety um, dissipate or does it just, or, or like, does it have some other impact for you? Yeah, I don't, it doesn't always go away for me. But what it does do is it kind of gives me motivation to do it. So like, just use the podcast again. Like I really wanted to share my story and maybe it helped somebody else out to hear some of this stuff. So that's kind of like my motivation for doing it. And then just allowing the nerves to be there, if they're going to be there. And if they kind of calm down because of that, then they're great. Yeah, that sounds great. When you were saying that you've started to use process, not outcome. Um, can you tell me more about what you mean by that? Yeah. So 
like there's a lot of things that I've wanted to do that I just haven't. And I think some of the reasons why I haven't is because I'm not, I don't feel like I'm good at them. I just don't have the skills for them. So then it's more about what skills do I need to be able to do those things? And like, how could I get those skills and kind of going through the process of building those skills as opposed to like just wanting a very specific outcome. Like I go to this event and I meet this person and we hit it off and like I have a new best friend or something. Yeah, that's a great example. Can you give me some more examples of things you want to do and you switch from being preoccupied with how it turns out to thinking about the skills that would make that outcome more likely? Yeah, so like one of the things I know is I want to connect with other people. And I think in the past I would ask myself, like, why do I feel so nervous around other people? Like, why can't I just calm down? And you've called those like judgmental questions. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of switched to like, all right, what is it that I really want? I want to connect with the people that I can vibe with. Like, how can I do that? I mean, I'm just like finding better ways to tell stories, maybe finding ways to empathize with other people more, being more vulnerable. So like just what skills do I need to be able to hit what I want, not so much get rid of the nerves. Yes, I completely agree with you on that. And that's a great use of your values. How has that worked out for you over the last five years? Yeah, it's been gradual, but I feel like my mind just buys into it more because I've had success with like shifting. Like it used to be like, I just want everything to happen all at once. And now it's like, it's okay that it's like a little by little each day, maybe just explore different ways to connect with other people or explore different ways to tell stories or any little thing I could do the next day. Yeah. And do you, are you able to maintain that attitude all the time? No, uh, there's definitely times where like I'm more sensitized or something's going on, like throws me off for a little bit. So definitely not all the time. What do you mean by sometimes you get more sensitized? Yeah, like recently I was really sensitized because I felt like anger and then I felt irritable and I was like, why is that happening? I couldn't really figure out why I was feeling irritable and I kind of just sat with it for a bit and I felt like it was a feeling like a kind of forgot the name, uh, like a heightened sense of responsibility towards other people and like trying to take care of their needs. And like once I figured that out and just kind of sat and mellowed out for a couple minutes, I was able to calm down. Yeah, that's great. So basically, rather than acting on your irritability, you used it as a cue to observe what was happening. And as you observed what was happening, you noticed that you were trying to control, trying to control or take responsibility of what other people were experiencing. And then you were able to let go of that and just go with like what you could control or or what would, how would you describe what the shift that you made? Yeah, I think first it was just trying to figure out what was happening because I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. I just kept getting more irritable. So I think for, for me, the first thing was just, what was it? And then once I figured that out, like what could I do to get myself in a better state? And then once I was in a better state, then I was like, all right, now what could I do to help that other person? Yeah, that sounds great. What did you do that helped you understand what was happening? I think I just, I listened to the podcast you did with somebody else. And like, I think you talked about like heightened sense of responsibility in that podcast. And I was like, well, maybe that's what it is. And then it was. Great. I'm glad that you were able to use that as a resource. Um, Do you have other ways in which you get stuck? 
Yeah, uh, let me see the other ways. I get stuck. So I think sometimes I'll get confused in terms of like wanting to connect and just make it a people pleasing thing, like just focus on what the other person needs me to do or be. I think with my anger, I'll still get stuck. Like sometimes my anger pops up and I don't know why it's there. Um, Can you tell me more about your anger? Sure. I think there's a couple of different things that I think going on. One is like, I almost feel like I shouldn't have it at times. Like I shouldn't feel angry towards this person I care about or angry towards the student I'm working with. I think another thing that happens for me is it feels out of control. Like I don't act within my values. I'll either withdraw or I'll get really confrontational and explosive. So I think I struggled with it for those reasons. And you're saying struggled in past tense. So what do you, when you're relating well to anger, uh, what are you doing? I think it's finding out why it's there, like trying to be curious about why it's there. And then if I can figure that out, then that provides some sense of relief. And like, I can feel like, all right, well, what can I do for that thing? Give me some examples of why anger is typically there for you. I think when I feel disrespected, it's there. I think if somebody's not validating my opinion or not allowing me to like take up space, like in a room or something, I think that's when it pops up for me. Mm -hmm. And then when you notice that those are the underlying um, triggers for your anger, then what do you do with the with that understanding? Then I think of like what would be most appropriate to do in this scenario. Uh, sometimes that's maybe focus on something else, or maybe confront that person. Um, or walk away from that person. Yeah, all of those are really good solutions. And in any given moment, you're like choosing between them dynamically. Right, yeah, and I think that's another thing that's happened for me is more nuance. Like I think I used to just approach anger of like, well, I gotta explode or I gotta withdraw, depending on what feels safer. And I think there's more nuance to it. Yeah, I totally agree. What helped you get to a place where you had some nuance? Being curious is probably the, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened to get to this point, but I think the biggest one is being curious about why it's there. And how did you develop, I, I really like that answer, how did you develop curiosity towards your experience? I think it was just translating what I learned in other parts of OCD to this, like another part where I had success, it was about being curious. Why do I feel this way about contamination? Or why do I feel about this way about whatever it might be? Like having success doing that, and then transferring that over to something I struggled with more like anger. Yeah, that's great. Can you talk more about your curiosity towards OCD and maybe social anxiety? I think that's the only thing that I found works for me. Um, like whenever I try to judge it or kind of ignore it, it doesn't really work for me. But when I'm curious about what's going on, then like it kind of broadens my options. Some people head towards challenging it or kind of going towards it with um yeah i think challenging it is the best is the, like on the offense would you say your curiosity is also on the offense or how do you how do you balance challenge versus curiosity i think i only challenge it once i know why it's there like for my nerves of like doing an event i care about 
I can challenge that, like saying, oh, my values are these, and that's why I want to go to the thing, and that's the way I'll challenge it for me. But I won't challenge it before I know what it is. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I think if I challenge it bef like before, like, oh, why am I feeling nervous? And it just, I don't fully understand what's going on. And I just kind of get in this loop of like, almost arguing with myself. Yeah, that's a great point. So challenging it um, under some conditions just leads you to then talk back to yourself. And the other thing that I can imagine is that challenging it could be relatively invalidating if you're not sure what's happening. And what you're saying about nuance that like, depending on the reason that you're feeling whatever feeling that you're having, uh, your reaction may be nuanced. Sometimes just stepping back is the right thing to do. Sometimes being assertive is the right thing to do. Um, sometimes having compassion for yourself is the right thing to do. So you kind of have to know what's happening in the first place to know how to respond. Right, yes. Okay, that's great. Are there, uh, do you want to say anything more about people-pleasing or not people-pleasing? Right, I think that one I'm still struggling with. Um, like, I feel like I very much get that confused with just connecting with somebody else. It's like my needs kind of go in the back burner and I really focus on what this other person needs. And then sometimes I'll catch myself doing that and I'll be like, that's not really what I, how I want to interact with somebody else. Uh, I want to interact with them in a way that feels respectful to me. And just like giving away my needs completely doesn't feel respectful to myself. How can you tell when you're giving away your needs or not paying attention to your needs? I think I'll start to feel that anger like boil up. And then I'll be like, all right, that's probably a cue of, I've gone too far beyond my comfort zone. Can you give me an example of a time that that's happened? Uh, let's see. Uh, all right, so I was having a conversation with my mom about kind of where she's at. And I was trying to hear her out and like just empathize and be where she's at. But I was getting frustrated that it was, it felt like it was going nowhere. And I wasn't just accepting where she was at. I was just getting frustrated. I couldn't find a solution. And I just had to like kind of end the call because I was just to my point where I just couldn't like be there for her at that point. Um, that's a good example of where withdrawal from the conversation was a way to take care of yourself. Did you have any other, did you, as you took that action, did you feel like it was the right action? You know, did it come from a place of self-respect? It did because it, it just felt like I was in this loop and I was getting more and more frustrated. And I knew that if I just got more frustrated, it's not going to lead to a good outcome. So it was just the best thing to do. I think I don't feel regret because I ended it. I'm happy to hear that. And I can imagine just speaking to the nuance. I think it's a great point under some conditions that, behavior might be something that was less effective, but under this condition, it sounds like it was really effective. Um, great example. So are there other places that you still get stuck? Yeah, uh, there's a lot. Um, uncertainty is still something that scares me. Um, I get panic, panic attacks sometimes and I'll get disgust. And then my OCD will latch on to things I really care about and like throw thoughts my way that like kind of throw me for a loop sometimes. Can you tell me more about what types of uncertainty scare you? 
Yeah. Um, I think like uncertainty around financial issues, like being afraid of what might happen for me financially scares me. I think uncertainty around like the choices I make, like I know we've talked about decisions, you make a decision, you live in it, but it's still kind of difficult at times for me to be like, well, is this the right decision or would something else be better for my future? Like, I, I don't, I get stuck in that sometimes. What do you do when you're stuck there? I will try to ask myself like, all right, in five years, what would this look like then? And is it a reversible decision or is it a decision that's kind of irreversible? And one thing, a new rule that I have for myself is if it's reversible, just decide, whatever. You can just change your mind. But if it's irreversible, take a little bit of time and slow down and think about it. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. Even with your two examples, um, I imagine there's parts of those examples that are um, signal or like actually problems to solve and parts of it that are noise. So there are uncertainties to let go of. Um, can you tell for the financial stuff the difference between problems to solve and uncertainties to let pass? Not always, because and maybe it's COVID, maybe it's just my thought process, but it doesn't feel super clear on like the best financial decisions to make. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, what comes to mind for me is questions like, how do I know that I'm going to be financially secure forever? It's probably an uncertainty, like something that you can't, something that you want to know with certainty out in the future is probably something that you can't know, but something like, um, do I have the budget for this decision? It's probably something that's actually a problem to solve. Is that, is that framework helpful? Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay. And it sounds like you, what you're doing with decisions is kind of the same thing. So sometimes there's decisions where you got to make a decision and live in it. And it's actually a problem to solve questions like, how do I know this was the right decision? Should I have um, making a diff made a different decision? Those types of things are probably uncertainties that you have to let pass. Okay. Um, are, did you want to say, okay, so you also said, you said uncertainties are a place that you get stuck and then sometimes your OCD still latches on things you care about. Do you have okay. any examples of that that you want to talk about? Yeah, I think with group, like I really enjoy group, I've gotten a lot of it, but then sometimes my mind will throw a thought that really does not make sense to me. And sometimes it's a really extreme thought. And like that'll throw me in a loop. Like, why did I have that thought? And I'll get going down that road. Yeah. So a lot of people have um, all kinds of different anticipatory anxiety, situational anxiety, and post-event processing during group. Well, that's a really common experience. So anticipatory anxiety will be something like, how is this going to go? Um, am I going to fit in? Am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to talk too much or too little? Those are the types of anticipatory anxiety questions that people might have. And then in any given situation, should I chime in? Should I not? Am I talking too much or too little? Did I say something that offends people? Um, and maybe am I going to get the time I want? But what are some other situational questions that, like some intrusive thoughts that you have during group? Like sometimes I'll have a really judgmental thought when somebody's sharing something really vulnerable. And 
that just doesn't make sense to me. Like most of the time in group, I've like felt empathy and like that's helped me be more compassionate to myself. And then lately, these thoughts just kind of floated. And what do you, what, um, what significance did you, do you give those thoughts? Like, do they mean something to you? I think they mean anything. I think it's just kind of my OCD finding a new continuity to give me. Like it, it, it never gave it to me before. Now I got something else to do. Yeah. I wonder if as you're getting more and more comfortable and group becomes more and more something that you value, you're getting intrusive thoughts that are like kind of a version of harm thoughts that is a common theme for you. Right. Um, so yeah, were you thinking about them as like harm thoughts that are just OCD to let pass? No, honestly, I was just looking at, this is new. I don't know what it means, but that makes sense to me. Okay, great. And then post-event processing is any um, social experience that afterwards you have, like the combination of worry, rumination, and replay that makes people often, like, not only causes them distress after the experience, but can make them have more anticipatory anxiety for situations in the in the future. So do you ever have post-event processing after group? Yes, I do. Especially like if I've Go ahead. If I've talked about something that's vulnerable to me, I think that's when it hits the wall. Yeah. And what do you what do you make with of that or how do you how do you cope with that? I think one thing that's helped me is just going back on the successful times that I've shared something vulnerable and people were supportive or understanding. And then I go back to group next time and like, there's nothing negative from it, right? So that helps me deal with it better. Yeah, that's great. So basically, if you hadn't shown up again, you might not have been able to challenge that feared thought that um, being vulnerable was going to have some type of negative consequence. So having the courage to go back into the situation and have experiential confidence that in fact, nothing negative is going to happen must be really helpful for your anxiety. Yeah, so that's a great example. That can happen. It's a great example for basically any time that you're vulnerable, that just if you assume that you're going to have some post-event processing and that's not necessarily significant, it doesn't mean anything bad's going to happen, um, that can be like another reason to have courage to be vulnerable. That makes sense. Um, I know you talked last time about vulnerability. Was there anything else that you wanted to say about vulnerability? Like I was, after that talk, I was looking at why it's so difficult to be vulnerable. I think part of the reason for me is it hasn't always been successful in the past. And like there's been times where, yeah, that didn't really work with that person. Um, but then I didn't do nuance. Like I did, well, if I can't trust that person, I probably can't trust anybody. And I think that kind of shut it down for me for several years. And now it's, I've been able to be more vulnerable again. And it's been going well. I feel like I've been opening up to more people. So that's kind of built on success for me. Yeah, that sounds great. I really like the way that you're owning the nuance because basically in the past, if you had an experience that gave you pain or felt hurtful, you were generalizing it to like, if it happened with this person, it's happening with everyone, as you just said. Um, but if you um, let yourself have a different experience with another person, let you know, interpersonal dynamics be nuanced. It sounds like you can have success with other people and then that that builds on itself. Um, 
Yeah, so that is a great example of a good use of vulnerability. I think you don't want to be, it's, it can be challenging to know who to, with whom to be vulnerable. And so the fact that you're kind of trying it out and then seeing what the outcome is and deciding whether or not you want to continue to be vulnerable um, really sets you up for success. Right, yeah. It feels good to be able to like share something, so it's good. I'm happy to hear that. Um, was there was there anything else you were hoping to talk about this session? I think the other one that I struggle with still is disgust because things that kind of bring that out for me happen occasionally. And I don't really know how to sensitize myself to them. Maybe it's just like struggle through the thing and then get to the other side but maybe there's a different way. Yeah, so disgust is a feeling that most people do not habituate to. Um, so that can be a real challenge, but one thing that keeps disgust going is often resistance to disgust in the first place. So paradoxically, if as you feel disgust, you label it and allow it to be there, you won't habituate to it. So you won't. it won't prevent you, for instance, from not spelling something that's disgusting or seeing something that's disgusting. But if you just let yourself have that experience, it does dissipate faster. So can you tell if you're resisting against the experience of disgust? I am, yeah, because it feels really uncomfortable to me. It feels like almost like I used to feel towards other OCD content. Like it just feels incredibly uncomfortable and I don't want to sit with it. Okay. And are you willing to do any exposure around that? Not to habituate, but to become more willing to um, experience something disgusting? Yes. Okay. What types of, what type of exposure would you like to commit to? Like what would be an exposure in this case? I think cleaning my bathroom would be an exposure. Okay. That sounds great. What's making you willing to clean your bathroom? Well, I just... I've had success with like the process part, right? And I think this could be another process, like to deal with it a little bit better. Okay, that sounds great. Is there anything else that you wanna mention or commit to? No, I think that's it. Okay, well that sounds great. Looking forward to hearing about your commitment. Thank you for your time. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.